the sermon you're going to hear today, I believe if you begin to practice the things we talk about and you begin to really pay attention and lean in almost as, as what we're going through in a church, Pastor Shanik, myself, Brittany, some of the other leadership team members over the last couple of weeks have really been praying and seeking God on the direction of where our church is going, not just literally, but like spiritually. And we've created a sermon series conversation over the next several months that I'm going to encourage you not to miss out on because we're going to be unpacking some truths that I just learned like four or five years ago after I graduated from seminary that have actually began to unlock my real relationship with Jesus. And so we're going to be unpacking those over the next several weeks, several months. This sermon series that we're talking about today, it's titled Look Again. And if you missed last week, you missed an incredible revelation that pastor shared with you with telling you that your righteousness is already yours. Okay, so listen real quick. Listen, put down your Christian guards, put down your excuses. You are more righteous right now in this moment than you will ever be. That is because your righteousness isn't based on behavior. You don't have to try to be good enough. You already are good enough because the good and faithful servant lives in you already. And so if we are 100% righteous already, then we need to look again at who Jesus is in our lives. In fact, pull up that scripture. This is what Pastor Shanik read last week to open up this series. It's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Pastor highlighted the fact that when Jesus said this, he hadn't yet died. Hello, because he's still alive. That means the good news that he was sharing wasn't just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was the good news that the kingdom of God was now at hand for the taking. Continue what it says in verse 15. It says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And, and this is what I want to share before I dive into my sermon this morning. Is because of rules and regulations and because of religion, we have created behavior modification messages and behavior modification churches. But what a first century Jew would have understood when Jesus said the word repent is very important for us to understand. In fact, in the early church, especially Catholicism, right? We're from a very Catholic background here in Floyd's Knobs. Most Catholics know what indulgences are or penance. You know what a penance is? A penance was actually a system that was created by Pope Leo. I don't know if it was Pope Leo X or Pope Leo X. I don't really understand the whole, like, numerical things, right? So it's either Pope Leo X or Pope Leo X. Who knows? Anyways, the Catholic Church was on the verge of going bankrupt, and Pope Leo was the one that created this system where people could pay money for their sins to get a voucher. You know what this created? It created a penance process where people would get this voucher thinking that they're perfect and righteous now because they confessed and paid for their sin, but then they would do that sin again, and so what would they do? They would come back and repentance. And we as a church have confused repentance with repentance. 
We think that repentance is about confessing our sins to get right and stay right without catching the revelation that you're already right right based on your belief in Christ. Repentance has very little to do with confession of sins and so much more to do with looking at Jesus. This is a Jesus church. We worship Jesus in this place. We want to give people hope through the life that they already have in Jesus. Jesus makes us whole. This word repentance in the Greek literally means to look again. That's the title of our series, repent or look again. Look again at the system that you operate in. Because it's not about rules and following commandments. It's about following love like Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus came to share to his disciples, to the world at that time, to give people proper hope. The crazy thing is when you begin to tell people that they're already 100% forgiven, usually the first question asked, and we've talked about it in this church before, the first question that's usually asked is, well, aren't you scared to give people this much freedom by telling them that they're free in Christ? I was asked that question this past week by my college roommate. I think it's very interesting that we always associate freedom with something that's negative. Think of it from a perspective of an American. We love the idea of freedom. We fight for freedom. In fact, we fought for freedom to get away from slavery. But yet in Christianity, we want to fight for slavery and get away from freedom. You're not slave to rules. You're not even a slave to Christ. You're a son or a daughter of the living king. He's your dad. He wants to embrace you. He wants to motivate you through love and acceptance and grace. He wants you to realize that you are already capable of changing your world. You just have to wake up to the reality of who you are as a son or daughter in God. Guess what? Freedom won't cause people to live crazy. People already live crazy. (laughs) They need hope. They need love. They need life, the life that we possess in Christ. Again, this isn't anything that we do based on our behavior. It's everything that we do based on our belief in Christ because he makes us whole and he brings us peace. And that's what we're talking about today. If last week, when you look again at who Jesus is to remind yourself that you're already righteous, it should create something in your life called peace. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that the peace that you've already given us given us is already there for the grasping. May your people today, regardless of what they came in with today, regardless of any junk that they believe, would you remind them that your peace transcends all understanding, that they already have the peace that you are in their lives? Lord, would you wake their mind up to their reality and allow peace to run through their veins like never before? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, Timmy. Are you guys doing well this morning? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. We're about to go for a ride. You ready for a ride? Turn to your other neighbor, the one you ignored, say, hold on. And tell them that they look good. I love the awkward giggles. Makes me feel good. (laughs) I'm going to need some interaction this morning. Because when you look again at who you are as a son or daughter in God, it creates a peace in your life. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Is uh, 
Peace is not a substance, it's a person, and his name is Jesus, and peace lives in you at all times. Therefore, you cannot lose your peace. You can't lose your peace. When your world starts to fall apart and there's chaos all around you and it feels unpeaceful, the reality is, is the peace that's in you because of Jesus can sustain you in the chaos around you. So you can't lose your peace. The only thing that you can lose is your perspective. And so if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this phrase down. It's not going to be up on the screen. I'm going to say it real slowly because I want you to meditate over it. I know us as a church, there's a lot of you that like to put stuff on Facebook and Instagram about this, about messages that you hear or things that are encouraging to you. I would encourage you to do that because a lot of people that you, that maybe never would come to church might hear what you have to say and be encouraged by that. But what I really want you to do is this phrase. I really want you just to meditate on it. I really want you to examine your own self and where you feel like you're losing your peace so that you can grab it again knowing that it's already in you. Here's the phrase. Your perspective, your perspective is the only thing that can prevent you from resting in the peace you already possess. Your perspective is the only thing that can prevent you from resting in the peace you already possess possess. Today, we're going to be looking again at the peace that you experience in Jesus and the peace that you express as Jesus. Because guess what? Jesus has no body except yours on earth. Therefore, there are billions of Jesuses walking around and those Jesuses need to wake up to the reality of who they are. Because the world is watching. The world wants to see you still have peace in the midst of your chaos. So we're going to talk about the peace that you experience in Jesus and the peace that you express as Jesus. I got two thoughts for you, and then we'll get home. You can watch the masters. I'll be done in 20 minutes. You cool with that? Can you pay attention with me for 20 minutes? Go and preach fast, slow, fast again, slow. Make sure you get it. Lean in because it's about to go down. It's about to be real good for you, okay? Filet mignon with some... Bernay sauce. I think that's how you say it. Any chefs in the place? Bernay sauce. I love Bernay sauce. I don't have it anymore. (laughs) Another time for another story. Another what? What? What's going on? Number one. Here it is. The peace of Jesus is experienced in a new way of thinking. New way of thinking. The peace of Jesus is experienced in a new way of thinking. Here's what I want to encourage you with. The way you think determines everything. Everything, okay? How, how you think determines everything. Your spirit is already one with Christ. Your soul is trying to catch up to that reality. Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. It's three things, mind, will, and emotions. So it's how you think, right? And how you think determines how you feel and how you feel. Many of us operate out of feelings. Sometimes our, our feelings aren't facts. And so we operate out of lies because we've got something jacked up in the way that we think. So if you want to experience this new way of living, which is life and freedom in Christ, you have to begin to think differently. Again, this takes practice. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. But you have to begin to think differently. Think differently about your circumstances. Think differently about who you are as a son or daughter in God. You see, we live at peace when we trust God to be who he says he is. And he's a good God. He's a good dad. In fact, I got five scripture verses that I just want to speak over you. You can meditate over them as we talk about it. The first one is Psalm 29, 11. It says this, it says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. 
So what is strength? Strength is peace. That means peace comes from a way of thinking or renewing your mind. Strength comes from trusting God even in your weaknesses. We should be, as a community, unshakable people. That means our circumstances don't dictate what we believe. What we believe dictates our circumstances because we are unshakable. Now, I'm still working on this because there is some news I get that shakes me. But we live in unshakable kingdom because the king lives in us. So we should be unshakable people. Again, this doesn't just happen overnight. This doesn't just happen overnight. Regrasping your peace doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process of constantly reminding yourself that peace lives in you and you can't lose it. Therefore, when bad news comes your way because you're guaranteed bad news, it doesn't shake you. It doesn't shake your emotions. It doesn't shake your soul because you've been able to conquer it. The next verse is Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Jesus was speaking in this moment. He said, I will give you rest. This word rest is the word peace. See, Jesus didn't come to give us a bunch of rules or to follow a to-do list. He came to give us rest. And this rest happens through a perspective, the way you think. John 14, 27, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. The Holy Spirit was about to fall on Pentecost. And he says to his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. This word peace, again, it means rest, but it also can mean wholeness or completion. So read it this way. Wholeness I leave with you, my wholeness I give to you. You see, we think that our needs being met will give us peace. But true peace comes from knowing and trusting God, even if your needs don't get met the way that you expected them to. We experience peace internally, but this peace comes from being grateful. You want to have peace in your life, peace that is unshakable? Become a grateful person. Oh, Corey, you don't know my situation. I hate my job. I work with Susie Know-It-All. If your name's Susie and you're Know-It-All, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) I hate going to work. Well, be thankful you got a job. And if you don't like that job and you can change it, change it. You have control over your perspective and attitude when you go to work. Oh, Corey, you don't know my marriage situation. My husband just goes home and watches golf. (laughs) Change your marriage. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't don't do that. (laughs) Change your perspective. At least your kids are healthy. Corey, my kids, man, we've been rushing to the hospital. We got bad news this week. The doctor's still trying to figure it out. We, We don't know what to do. Well, praise him for the car that got you to the hospital so you can even actually experience some doctors that can help your kids get sick. Well, you don't know about my car. It's a beater. Like, literally, I have to beat her to get her to start. Well, thank the Lord that you're fed so you're not fainting while you're driving your beater to the hospital. Like, I know I'm being funny and whatnot, but the reality is, is every single one of us, because we're Americans and we live in the greatest country, we have something to be thankful for. It's just a shift in perspective. I promise you, this this perspective can make your chaos cease. Not literally, just internally. In fact, many of you guys know the journey that my wife and I have have been going on to adopt our little little boy, Henry. And we got great news 
in March, we were able to begin the process of adoption, which is huge for us because we've been on this journey for a year and a half. Many of you know this, this up and down journey. And it hasn't been roses, right? We're going to meet with an attorney this week to start the adoption process. So it's not even close to being over. It's just beginning. But the process since September has been really draining because September we filed for our court case to actually fight for our son. So our court case happened in in October, and I pr- asked all of you guys to pray for us. I know we had tons of people praying for us, and, and we show up at the court case, and they postpone it till November. Okay? We show up in November. We told our family, pray for it. You know, we can't wait to have this little boy over for Thanksgiving and to meet all of his, you know, cousins that he never gets to, to, to meet yet or he hasn't met yet. We can't wait to start celebrating as a family. And so we show up at our court case in November, and they said they're going to push back till December, but that December court case, they're going to meet to decide the next court case, whatever that meant. So now our court case is January 18th, okay? Another couple months. So we wait January 18th. I actually couldn't be with my wife on the court case in January because we as a team went down to Texas for this conference and I was talking to my wife before um, we were at this conference and she told me the bad news that they postponed it till March. <laughs> this, this was literally the last six months that, that walked in our life. And I remember in October when the first postpone happened, how frustrated me and my wife were. And I remember the spirit telling me in this, this season, I was having a moment of prayer where I was yelling at God. And real frustrated. And he told me that I was learning empathy, not sympathy in this season. Because sympathy is I can feel sorry for you because your situation is pretty terrible. But empathy is I know exactly how you feel because I've actually walked in those shoes. And that was a frustrating thing to hear at the time. Who wants to be told empathy, not sympathy? So that means that this is going to be a journey, right? I knew this was going to happen. I knew like things were going to continue to postpone because I just heard I'm going to be hearing empathy, not sympathy. And I remember writing something down in January. Again, I I let go of the frustration because I realized that my peace was still internal. That even though the bad news on the external wasn't going to affect me eternally. And so I wrote this down on Facebook, January 18th, right? I hadn't yet found out that we were going to begin the process of adoption. This was in my not yet season. This was in my learning empathy, not sympathy season. And I wrote this, just finding out bad news. I'm not sharing this to brag about me. I'm sharing this to encourage you that if peace can begin to practice in your life now, you can have responses similar to this when you get bad news. I said, today we're thankful. We're thankful for all those families that are praying for our family. Our court case was pushed back again until March. And although it's frustrating to see a pair of four-year-old eyes longing to belong, we know he already does. We sang a song in the network this morning at the conference, and the lyric says that my weapon is a melody. In the kingdom of God, we don't have weapons of violence. We have weapons of praise. We can't control all the situations in our lives, but we can control our responses. God is waiting for us to bring heaven to earth and it's activated through our attitude. So fast forward to March when we actually get good news. It is so much sweeter to be able to praise Jesus on the mountaintops when you praise Jesus in the valleys. God is not a God that's going to guarantee ease through life. He's just a God that's going to guarantee peace throughout it all. 
However, that peace is on you to decide. He says in Colossians 3.15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. He continued the same idea in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice that it does not say give thanks for all circumstances. There are things in your life that are not God-ordained. Yet, we have perspective to be able to give thanks in all things. Not for all things, in all things. Shift your perspective. If you want to experience this peace, it creates a new way to think, a new way to perceive. Your peace never left you, church. It's in you. It'll never leave you. It's walking with you. And I know for some of us in this room, as I see some of your faces, I know some of the stories that you guys have experienced. I know some of the pains that you are currently walking in. I want to encourage you, like I've been saying this whole time, is this peace. You're going to leave this this service this morning, and there's going to be things that will happen to you today that will try to rob your perspective of your permanent peace. But I want to encourage you is begin to practice knowing your peace today. Because if the peace of Jesus is experienced in a new way of thinking, looking again, then my second point for you today is the peace of Jesus is expressed, expressed in a new way of living. Here's what I mean by a new way of living. The kingdom of God, which is already here, it's not just someday when, it's right now because it's in you. The kingdom of God is a nonviolent kingdom. Nonviolent in the way that you think, nonviolent in the way that you act. I'm going to say some things this morning, and I feel like I've said some things over the last four or five months that are really hard for many of us as Americans to grasp our mind around. But know that it was really hard for first century Jews. I'll ask you two questions. I'll ask it this way. If the Son is sent by God on a mission to God's people, what happens when the people's view of God is different than that that, that is announced by Jesus? Or this way, what happens when Jesus' behavior, which he claims amounts to God's behavior, is different from that what is, which is expected? I'll say it this way. What is today? Today is Palm Sunday. And we say this at, at Cornerstone almost on a regular basis is we don't just celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead next week. He rose in the past. So we get to celebrate Easter Sunday every week. Because he's alive. He's in you. But Palm Sunday is the Sunday that we know, if you've grown up in church, the Sunday where Jesus rides in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and the crowd is screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're waving the palm branches. They're screaming this whole thing. If you've been in this church uh, long enough over the last several years, you know uh, Bishop Jamie Englehart, he preached a sermon called The Donkey Versus the War Horse. I'm going to give you like a two-minute excerpt of what this is all about. In the first century, what Pilate would do around this specific time, because there were festivals in Jewish cultures, Pilate would ride around on a war horse, the horse that he would ride on when they would go and conquer people. So when Pilate rode in on a war horse, every single person in the town would do one thing, and one thing only, or they would be thrown into prison or killed. They had to bow. Why did they have to bow? Because what Pilate represents was fear, violence. 
If you don't do what, we, what I tell you to do, we'll conquer you. We'll kill you. We'll throw you in prison. Okay, think about this scene. So every single time Pilate would ride in on a war horse, everyone in the known world at that time would fear the image of Pilate. Jesus on this same day rides in on a donkey. This is so baller. Jesus is a baller. But many people miss what this donkey represents because we tie donkeys into political pieces. A donkey in the first century represented the symbol of peace. You do know what Hosanna means. Hosanna means God save us. But that's not talking about an afterlife experience. This was talking about a literal hell that they were currently in because of Roman oppression. In fact, 63 years before Jesus in 63 BC, there was a guy that rose to power. His name was Judah Maccabee. Judah Maccabee was a Jewish zealot who overthrew the Greeks and people started to crown Judah as the Messiah. Why? Because the Jews in the first century was expecting the Messiah to come with violence and overthrow their oppressors. But guess what happens? Judah dies and he doesn't rise up from the dead. So guess what happens to Judea? Judea. It gets annexed back to the Roman Empire. There goes that zealousness, right? So when Jesus walks in or rides in on a donkey, he was showing his first century Jewish people the message of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not a kingdom of violence. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of me right now giving you life in the midst of your oppression. Jesus didn't come to save us from a literal oppression. He came to save our minds from it. Because you are not oppressed. We are free in Christ. In fact, when Jesus was in the garden, about to get arrested and put on the cross, what did his slim shady disciple do? Why do you say slim shady? Because Peter had a mouth on him. Did you guys not pick that up? That was a really funny joke and you guys missed it. Striking out. Peter pulls out his little dagger, which was used for cleaning the fishing nets, and he swipes at this dude named Maccabus, Malachus, some word with an M. He misses and gets his ear, cuts his ear off. One of Jesus' last miracles is healing this dude's ear. In fact, I read it in a commentary like this this past week. When Simon struck the guard's ear off, he was operating out of a righteous zeal. It was an honest zeal. It was just zeal without knowledge. One of Jesus' last miracles was restoring Malachus's ear. I sometimes think that our Lord is still often healing wounds that zeal without knowledge people make on other souls. In this example, Jesus calls righteous zeal wrong when it causes violence against others. Peter still misunderstood the role that Jesus was playing in salvation. See, the problem of violence in our world is ironic because we tend to believe that our violence is good and yours is bad. I'm justified in my reasoning, but you are making excuses for yours. But Jesus was setting up a kingdom of love, not a kingdom of war and earthly rulership. In fact, there's been this scholar, his name is Michael Harden. He's got a book called The Jesus Driven Life. It's like this big. So it's been taking me a long, long time to digest just because it's so deep with challenging thoughts around your idea as a 21st century Christian. 
I'm going to read an excerpt from his book, and Tim can come back up here and help me close out. But don't just, just because I'm going to read something from a book, don't just doze off. Really listen to what this guy says, because I know it will challenge you. He says, the problem of religion is the goal of power, violence, and justice. The story the Bible tells us is how God in Jesus entered the cultural religion of sacred violence, suffered its most horrible side effects, and revealed that the mechanism is ungodly and doomed. Nothing irks some folks more than losing a God who is wrathful, angry, retributive, and punishing. This is only because we want so much to believe that God takes sides, but that side is inevitably our side. Jesus did not teach quietism or pacifism, but nonviolent resistance. Really important, nonviolent resistance. In fact, our church fathers, Tertian, Cyprian, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Lactanius, all share the common opinion that violent retaliation was foreign to the spirit of the gospel. Check this stat out. In the hundred years following the ascension of Constantine, who was one of our church fathers, more Christians died at the hands of other Christians than had died in the previous 250 years in the hands of the empire. That is including the reign of Nero, who lit Christians on fire to just to do it. The church that began as a persecuted community now has become the persecutors. The only two things that have the power to create reconciliation and unity are violence and love. This is why it's so difficult for us as Americans to give it up. If we give up violence or the threat of violence, whether that be divine or human, we fear that our world will come apart. And as scary as it may sound, this is the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world. Jesus has come to save us from the deadly infection of violence. Or in other words, he has come to save us from the world that we humans have created. Jesus didn't get into God's justice machine. God in Christ entered ours. We killed Jesus. The whole spirit of God is a spirit of peace. It's a, it's a peace that is experienced internally, even when your outside world is chaos. But it is a peace that is expressed in life and love, hope. So this is why it's so important for us to interpret the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of hope, life, love, and peace. See, you do not get the God that you believe in. You get the God that you live. It's one thing to say that I believe in a God of love if you don't give love to all people. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe in a God of peace, but it's missing the point if you're not living peaceful. You don't get the God you believe in, you get the God you live. This is a God that gives you peace unconditionally, a peace that transcends all understanding what Philippians says. And Paul wrote that while he was in prison. It's a shift in perspective. It's a shift in the way that you do life. It's a shift in the way that you think and the way that you live. And it is so beautiful. It's looking again, this tagline, and I'll close with this thought, is rethinking relationship. And if you get around Christians long enough, they'll tell you that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. However, I would also argue that many of those same Christians that say that don't actually believe it because they think that it's all about rules. 
Jesus did not come for you to follow the commandments of the law. He came for you to follow him and him and he represents love. So if it really is about relationship, then get free, be free and go love people well.